to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're going to continue in our current sermon series on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. But with this being the week of Thanksgiving, it just so happens in God's timetable that the passage we're going to look at in Luke chapter 7 has the theme ingrained in it of Thanksgiving and being thankful and being appreciative and understanding that and expressing that. So it's great that that all came together uh, for our message today. But as I said, this week is Thanksgiving. And I don't know if you've already started thinking about what are you thankful for? But let me just ask that. I know it's a little bit, uh, a day, it's a day that's kind of like everybody's kind of, uh, you know, it's overcast, it's a little rainy, it's cold. So to kind of wake up a little bit, let me ask you, let's get some audience participation, just, just shout it out. What's something that you're thankful for? Now don't give me a whole paragraph, just give me one or two words, okay? What's something you're thankful for? Christ. Boy, that was loud. Good. That's a good loud one. Okay. What else are you thankful for? Life. What else? Family. What else? The Holy Spirit's presence. What else are you thankful for? Food. Yeah, I was wondering if I was going to mention that. Yeah. Okay. So I know there are some people that are concerned about being unspiritual, but one of the things that came, maybe not the first thing, hopefully not the first thing, that came to your mind is another thing that Thanksgiving is known for, and that is football. How many of you are thankful for football? Okay, I see a number of hands. Yeah, yeah. A lot of things that we are thankful for, right? I don't know about you, but um, I have to remind myself um, to take some time some extra time to think about the things I'm thankful for. Now, I have a habit whenever I come to God in prayer, and I see it in the examples of prayers in the Bible, of trying to start out by saying, God, I love you, I thank you, and, 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 and you know, praising him, worshiping him, mentioning things I'm thankful for before I get into the rest of my prayer. And you see that as an example in Scripture. But every once in a while, and I've mentioned this before, and especially around Thanksgiving time, it is really good to just take some time when you have time, not just a quick one-minute thing, to sit down and just begin to tell God how thankful you are and just try to think of all the things that you are thankful for. I remember one time I thought, you know what, I want to sit down and I want to just mentally make a list of everything I'm really thankful for um, and just express that to God. And uh, that particular time, I sat down and it took a whole hour. I was able to fill a whole hour taking my time. I just kind of went back to the beginning of my life and just worked my way through and just thought of all my memories and the things and uh, that had happened to me, the things I went through and um, experienced and my family and, and educate just everything about my life. And it's really good for us to do that. I think it's so easy to go through life and just not be as appreciative as perhaps we should be. Um, you know, we probably have all known some people that don't seem to be very thankful. They don't be very, very appreciative. And it kind of hurts our feelings a little bit if we give something, do something for somebody else, and it doesn't seem like they appreciate it. You've, you've experienced that, right? 
And I just wonder sometimes if maybe that's how God might feel. And so I just really want to challenge you and encourage you as we go into this Thanksgiving season to take some extra time to talk to God about the things that you're thankful for. In fact, <clears throat> we got back from youth convention last night and I was exhausted. So I did what I had to do and went to bed. I went to bed earlier than I usually do. And so this morning I woke up about five o'clock. Actually, I think it was before that. And I'm laying there thinking, Lord, I really could use some more sleep. <laughs> Would you help me go to sleep? And he just kind of reminded me of that. So I thought, well, you know what? Until I fall back to sleep, I'm going to start doing that. So I just started going through that whole process of going through my life and being thankful and expressing that. And then God just let me drift into sleep. And then I woke up about 15, 20 minutes later. So I just did it again. I spent like the next two minutes, uh, next two minutes, next two hours, just kind of uh, half the time thanking God for various things in my life. And then he just let me drift off into another little nap. And so I woke up feeling a lot more refreshed. Now, I'm not saying that's the way you need to do it, but it worked for me this morning. As we get into our passage today in Luke chapter 7, the title of my message is, How Thankful Are You? We just talked about what are you thankful for, but this is a whole other aspect of it. How thankful are you? If you pick one of the things that you're thankful for, you're thankful for it, but the, 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 excuse me, the following question would be, how thankful are you? And you know, it's different for different people and for different circumstances, different things in your life. If you look at a particular relationship, you say, well, I'm thankful for that relationship, whether it's a relationship with a spouse or a parent or a child or grandparent or grandchild. You say, well, how thankful are you for that? Maybe different for different people. I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for life. All these things we mentioned. Well, how thankful are you? What determines how thankful we are for something? I think what it comes down to is how much value it has for us. And that value can be determined in a uh, number of different ways. It could be if it was something we really, 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 really needed and we got it, we're going to be more thankful than if somebody gave us something or we experienced something we didn't really need, right? Or if it's something that we really, really, really wanted and we got it, then we're likely to be more thankful, It'd be sort of like saying, are you thankful for the lunch that you just ate? And we say, well, yeah, I'm thankful for it. But if you're a person in a third world country where you haven't eaten since two days ago and you ate lunch, you'd probably be a whole lot more thankful for that meal. So part of it's wrapped up in need and and desire, but it's also wrapped up in awareness, in awareness. Another example I've used through the years is that if somebody were to come out and say, hey, uh, we've discovered a cure for, let's say, pancreatic cancer, we'd be very thankful, we'd be very grateful. But if you're a person that had or has pancreatic cancer, you would be overwhelmingly thankful. And that's the direction I want us to go today because that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. We're going to see a story about Jesus, something he went through, but then in the middle of that, he's going to tell a very, very short parable. And the point of his parable is there are things that we should be thankful for, but we're only going to be as thankful as we are aware of our need for it. So let's just jump right into it and take a look at it. Our story is found in Luke chapter 7. 
And we're going to start reading with verse 36. It's a story of an event that Jesus was a part of. And right in the middle, he tells one of his parables, one of his shorter parables. We're just going to read it all the way through. Then we're going to talk about it, kind of explain some of the cultural stuff that's there. And we're going to talk about how it applies to our lives today, especially in light of Thanksgiving and appreciating God's blessings to us. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, Simon is this Pharisee's name. It's not Simon Peter. This is the Pharisee. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. for She loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So as we are following along this story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen a lot of things up to this point. Jesus now has chosen his 12 closest disciples, although there are many other people that are traveling along with him. And as they travel around, he's teaching, preaching, healing, delivering. He's raised someone from the dead. The reputation is spreading everywhere. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes or otherwise called lawyers, these are the Bible scholars, are wondering exactly who Jesus is and they're already starting to feel like he's going to cause problems. And here we have this story where one of the Pharisees by the name of Simon decides to invite Jesus to dinner. Now, this isn't just a casual, quick meal. This is kind of a banquet setting in a for, an official, formal dinner setting. Okay, in their culture at that time, and I'm going to try to explain some of the cultural things that are in here in case you don't understand it. As we read it, you may say, well, I don't understand how that happened and why that happened and his feet and all that kind of stuff. But in their day and age, if you just had a quick, simple meal, you just sit down and eat the meal. But if you had a formal, official 
dinner type thing. I mean, it'd be like if we had a formal official dinner. You take the extra time, all right? You make things really nice. You you may use your dining room table instead of the cook kitchen nook table or sitting on the couch or whatever. And you'd set out the nice stuff and, and you'd have it all arranged and prepare ahead of time for the people that you've invited to come to this meal. And that's what Simon had done. In his home, he had had his servants prepare the place. And, and when you had that type of meal, it was meant to be a relaxing, enjoyable, slow-paced event that you could really enjoy each other's company. And um, if it was the if it was an event like you're inviting a, a special teacher or religious leader to come to have great conversation about spiritual things. And that's kind of the setting that's here. Simon has invited Jesus to come. And I think, now this is just my opinion because it doesn't tell us his motivation here. I have a feeling Simon has heard these rumors and all these things about Jesus, maybe has even seen him in person at an event and seen him do these things. And he wants to check him out. Okay. I mean, in the middle of the story, he says, I don't think he's a prophet. I think there was, is Jesus a prophet? Uh, earlier in the chapter, you know, Jesus did a miracle. A lot of people say, oh man, he's a great prophet, you know, like Elijah. You know, who is this guy? He's, he's doing wonderful, miraculous things. So I think Simon invited Jesus to come to this to kind of check him out. All right? To kind of poke and prod and get some responses to some things. But when you had a dinner like that, as I said, normally for a meal you just sit down and eat it, but for a dinner like that, it was meant to be very, very casual, very, very um, relaxed. And so they would use a special low table with cushions all around it, and you would just kind of lay on the cushions and kind of lean on your left elbow and use your right hand to eat. That's just what they did. Now, to me, that seems like it'd be awful uncomfortable, but they, they loved it. I mean, that's the way they did dinners. That's the way they did banquets. You know, they just kind of just lay around, you know, and, and they would eat and they would talk. But as you can imagine, you've got this table, whether it was a big table or maybe a U-shaped thing or, or whatever configuration, and everybody is laying on cushions around the outside. Where are their feet? Out behind them. Now, another thing that was a little bit different here is that if you had a big dinner, uh, official meal like this, um, it was considered to be extra special if you had more people there. And it was allowed in their culture for anybody else that wanted to come, especially if you had a special guest and they wanted to see them or hear what they had to say, to allow them to come into the house. Also, they have dinner in a big courtyard, that kind of thing. And they were allowed to sit around the outside. And uh, if they were really, really lucky, when the meal was over, they'd get to have the leftovers, Okay. But the people that were participating in the meal are in the center, all around this table, and other people around the outside, listening to the conversation, picking up on what's going on. And so that's the setting. They're there, they're eating, and there's a woman who's around the outside. And whether it's because she noticed that Simon did not do these things, or she just decided to do it, she comes up behind Jesus and she washes his feet with her tears and her hair. This lady has a reputation. It probably took a lot of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It took a lot for her to be there. She had a reputation in the city. We don't know exactly what her sins are. It says she was a great sinner. Many people have have speculated she must have been a prostitute or an adulterer because in their culture at their time, those were the two probably greatest sins that women could be involved in. But whatever it was, she was a great sinner. Had a reputation, but she showed up there anyway. 
It seems to indicate that she had had a previous encounter with Jesus. Why do I say that? Because she is coming not to ask for forgiveness, but to say thank you for forgiveness. That's what all her expressions are. All her expressions of worship, the, 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 the wiping of her feet, the cleaning of, the cleaning of his feet, and the anointing of his feet. It's to say thank you. And Jesus told her, he says, your sins have been forgiven. Now, Simon, in the midst of all this, he's seeing what's going on. And he says, Jesus, okay, people have been saying he's, a prophet. he's not a prophet because a prophet would know what's going on. And he obviously doesn't know what's going on because if he knew the reputation of this woman, if he knew what she was guilty of, if he really was a prophet and a holy man of God, he'd tell her to get away. He would tell her to have nothing to do with him. But then Jesus basically turned around and proved he was a prophet because he knew what Simon was thinking. And so he tells Simon this parable. And we'll come back to the parable in just a moment. And after he's done with the parable, he says, Simon, when I came in, you didn't do these. And he mentions three things. And these are three things that a host would normally do for their guests. They would provide water so that they could wash their feet, or if they were really rich and had servants that were willing to do it, they could have them wash their feet. But they would at least provide water because, you know, you wear sandals, you walk on dusty streets. That was part of their life, part of their culture, just like in many cultures, when you go into somebody's house, you take your shoes off because you don't want to track the dirt, okay? Well, in their culture, when you went into somebody's house, you took your sandals off, and then there'd be water for you to wash your feet or somebody would wash it for you. And then not only that, you would give them a customary greeting. And in their culture, it was kind of that kiss-on-the-cheek type thing, all right? Simon didn't do that either. And then for special events and stuff, you'd give them just a little bit of anointing with oil or some kind of an ointment. It was just part of their culture. Those are the three things you did for your special guests. And he told Simon, you didn't do any of those things. But this woman that you think I should have nothing to do with, look what she did for me. And as I said, that the key, the, the, the focus here is in verse 47, when he says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now that's not trying to say that because she was so loving, I've forgiven her sins. What he's saying is that because her sins have been forgiven and she had a lot of them, that's why she's being so loving. In fact, the passage makes it very clear it was her faith that had saved her. It was her faith that had brought forgiveness to her life. That's why many people speculate that maybe this, this, this lady had come across Jesus the day before at some other situation and had an interaction with him and he, she asked for forgiveness. He had forgiven her and now she has an opportunity to show her gratefulness, to show her depth of, of thanksgiving for what Jesus has done to forgive her. So let's take a look at this parable that Jesus told. When Simon's, uh, you know, it's basically talking to himself and saying, if this guy really was a prophet, he'd have nothing to do with her because she's a terrible sinner. And Jesus said, i got to tell you something, Simon. So a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? A denarii was basically how much a person and just a regular everyday person would be paid for a whole day's work. So you can you can do the math. 500 denarii would be about a year and two-thirds wages. So just figure out how much you make or used to make or would like to make in a year and two-thirds, and that's how much it says in this parable that this guy owed the money lender, and he couldn't pay it back. And he says, don't worry about it. 
The other one says 50 denarii. That's about a month and two-thirds, okay? One and two-thirds months. That's still a hefty sum, however much you could earn in about six weeks, seven weeks. And owed the same money lender, couldn't pay it back. The money lender said, oh, don't worry about it. How many of you have some debts that you wish the person that has responsible would just tell you, don't worry about paying it back? <laughs> yeah, you know, anybody that has debts, I mean, it's best to be debt-free. Yeah, but if you've got debts, you'd love to have them just wiped out Whatever. But you know, the more you owed, the more you probably would be so thankful that they wiped it out. I mean, it's one thing if your friend comes up and says, hey, remember that uh, that dollar I loaned you the other day so you could buy a candy bar? Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, great. Thankful. But somebody else you owe thousands and thousands of dollars to, they said, forget it. You're really thankful. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that this woman, she was a great sinner. But she had come to him for forgiveness. And he was able to offer her to her God's forgiveness. And, and that caused a lot of problem too. It's like, who is this guy that thinks he can forgive sins? Because only God can forgive sins. It's the beginning of people beginning to awaken to, man, there's something really special about this guy. But because she was forgiven of so much, she was overwhelmed with thanksgiving and overwhelmed with gratefulness. But what what Jesus is trying to point out to Simon is, what is your attitude, Simon? And if Simon's a Pharisee, he's, he's one of the rule keepers. He's, he's one of the people that was righteous. He did everything he could to try to keep God's law. He says, what's your attitude toward God for what he's done for you is, is kind of what the parable is pointing out. How grateful are you for forgiveness? But as Jesus told the parable, and Simon is trying to figure out what this has to do with, he would probably immediately make the connection, or make a connection anyway, between the guy that owed the 500 denarii with this sinful woman. But I think he would struggle. I think he would struggle to think of the fact that he might fit in this parable as somebody that owes anybody anything, because he's a righteous man. He keeps the law of God. You know, if Jesus were to ask Simon or someone were to ask Simon, Simon, in this story that Jesus told, okay, these two people that owe this money, which one do you think you might relate to? I have a feeling Simon would say, well, I don't know that I really relate to either one of them because I really try to live for God and do the right thing. But if I have to pick one, I'd be the 50 denarii guy because I'm a pretty good guy. That kind of comes out in the attitude he has. Well, we're going to come back to that. I want to talk for a couple of minutes about what is God saying to us today and then how should this story change our lives. So what is God saying to us today? If we look at this parable and the, the, the circumstances that surround it, there, there's a couple of thoughts that are very, very basic to the truth of Scripture, but this parable really illustrates very, very clearly. The first one is this. We all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. We are all sinners in need of forgiveness. In this story, you've got these two debtors. It says one owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50 denarii. We all have a debt to God. We all are sinners. Romans 3.23, a verse that you've heard many times, especially if this is your church because I say it all the time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we can play all kinds of games with that. 
like Simon might have been tempted to do. We can look at our life, somebody else's life, and say, you know, well, I've got these sins, and I can see that they've got those sins, and we can play the game of trying to compare ourselves to others. And, and you know, some of it, sometimes if we compare to one particular person, we'll come out on the short end of the stick. Say, oh, man, they're a whole lot uh, better person than I am. They're a whole lot more holy. They're a whole lot more spiritual. They're a whole lot more righteous. Usually we don't compare ourselves to those kind of people, do we? We like to compare ourselves to people who don't seem to be doing as well as we are. You say, well, I know, you know, I know I got problems, or I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as, and then we try to fill up a list of people that we're not as bad as, right? I have a feeling that that's kind of the way Simon was. But the point is, no matter how our sins might stack up, you know, and, and it's true. Some people are worse sinners than others if you want to try to keep score. Either the amount of sin, the numbers of sin, the the uh, the consequences of sin, because different sins have different consequences. Some sins have much more serious consequences than others. But the truths we find in God's Word is that whatever sin it is, whatever the consequences they are, any and all sin separates us from God. So we need to quit playing the games of, am I a better person than that person, or am I more of a sinner or less of a sinner, and can I feel better about myself, or should I feel worse about myself, or whatever. We just need to recognize that I am a sinner, and that sin separates me from God. I have this debt, and even though it may be less debt, at least it looks like it compared to somebody else's, I still can't pay it back. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One commentator said this, the two debts represent not the amount of sin, but the awareness of guilt. I thought that was kind of insightful. It's not so much about the amount of sin that's in your life or that you perceive to have in your life, but how aware are you of your standing before God because of your sin? You see, I think sometimes we can fall into that trap of saying, yeah, I know I'm a sinner and I, I don't do everything right and all that kind of stuff, but I'm okay. I'm okay. But the Bible makes it very clear that if we have any sin in our life, and we all do, we're not okay. Not all by ourselves. It's one of the points that Jesus is trying to make here. The second one is this, is that forgiveness is the gracious gift of God. Forgiveness is the gracious gift of God. In this story that Jesus told, the two guys that owed the money to the money lender, he said, don't worry about paying it. That was a gift. He says, you owe, but you don't need to pay. We find that spiritual truth in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But God says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to give you a gift. You can have forgiveness. You can have eternal life. And it comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we kind of get caught up in this game of, well, then I, 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 you know, I'm going to be a really good person, which is a good thing to do. I'm not telling you that we shouldn't be good people. In fact, that should be the natural response. If God, if we've come to God and asked for forgiveness and He's forgiven us of our sins, our response should be, we'll talk more about that before we get to the end, 
to begin to do the right thing and to begin to please God and to be a better person and to not sin. I mean, if the sin is what's causing the problem, if the sin is what's causing the, the, the wall, the barrier between us and God and He forgives us, we don't want to go back and rebuild that barrier. But sometimes we think that because we've worked real hard to be a good person, that kind of gains us extra points. And sometimes we think that even before we come to God forgiveness, and there are some people who don't come to God and ask for forgiveness because they're like, yeah, that's because I'm just not as bad as somebody else. And so God will just let it go. It's like, no. God's not going to let any sin go. All sin, any sin, separates us from God. But again, the good news is that God took care of it through Jesus Christ. So we can have forgiveness. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works so that no man can boast. In other words, you can't earn it. You can't pay it back. And so God, because of his grace, willing to give us what we don't deserve and not give us what we do deserve, that's mercy and grace, If we have faith, remember Jesus told this sinful woman that she was saved, she was forgiven because of her faith, then we can have this gift of God. The third truth we see here is that forgiveness is not free. I'm sorry, forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. In other words, it is a gift. The word gift was used twice in each of the verses we just looked at. That forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. In the story, the money lender had to take the loss. I mean, the guys owed him that money. He deserved to have that money. That was his money, and he had to be willing to give up that money and to give up the use of that money. And that illustrates for us that even though God offers to us a free gift of salvation, a free gift of forgiveness, it still costs. In fact, it costs the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, sometimes when we think about how thankful we are for something it's not just the value of the something we receive but how much it costs the other person i don't know about you but if somebody does something for me or gives something to me and i thought and i'm i realized that you know it took a lot for them to do that that cost them a lot and they didn't have a lot that just makes me even more thankful in this case our forgiveness of sins our salvation cost the life of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the fourth truth that we see in this whole story, not the little parable, and that is to receive forgiveness, we must recognize our need for it and ask for it. We must recognize our need for it and ask for it. Like I said, some people, they say, well, I'm not near as bad as most people, so I don't need to worry about asking. But you do. We do. I've told you many times I had the privilege of hearing the gospel, which is basically the truths that I just shared with you when I was 10 years old. And in the eyes of mankind or whatever, I had not done any terrible things at 10 years of age. I'd never murdered anybody. I'd never committed adultery. I'd never, none of that stuff. But you know what? When the gospel truth came to my heart, I had this overwhelming sense that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. That even though I might not have been guilty of all kinds of terrible things as other people would look at it, that I still was a sinner and I needed a savior. 
and I needed to ask for it. So I, I just feel a special burden to say this uh, today for those of you that are here, those of you that are watching online, that maybe you've kind of put off the idea of surrendering your life to Christ, of asking God to forgive you based on what Jesus did because you're like, well, I'm not a bad person. In fact, I'm a pretty good person. You can make a whole list of all your good things, and that's great. But the point is, is none of us are perfect. All of us are sinners and we need what God offers. We need His forgiveness. We need His forgiveness. So I said here, to receive forgiveness, we must recognize our need for it and ask for it. We, we look at this woman, this sinful woman, whatever his sin was, she's a, she's a terribly sinful woman. But she received forgiveness because she saw herself as she was, as a sinner, and she recognized who Jesus was. And we can only assume that at some point she asked Jesus for forgiveness because he offered it. He gave it. He reassured her, your sins are forgiven. Because of your faith, you have been saved. But then we see Simon. Just based on this story. We don't know what happened after this story. After this story, Simon may have had an awakening. Simon may have become a believer. Simon may have become a disciple. We don't know. Sooner rather than later, later rather than sooner, maybe later after Jesus died, rose again, and all that kind of stuff. We don't know what happened to Simon, but just based on this story, what's happening in this story and his attitude, if he continued in that, Simon would not receive forgiveness for two reasons. He didn't see himself as he was. He didn't recognize that he was a sinner. That's what it seems to indicate. And he definitely didn't see Jesus for who he was. This man can't be a prophet. He can't be someone sent from God. That's what his attitude demonstrates in this story. He's blind to himself. He's blind to his sin. He's blind to Jesus. And I would ask you today, how about you? Do you see yourself as you really are? Or have you been making excuses? Or just trying to balance out what little bad you have with a whole lot of good? Or do you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? Now I know that I'm talking to a lot of people who you've already been there, you've already done that, you've already recognized I'm a sinner and you have surrendered your life to Christ. You've come to Him for forgiveness. But I would say that for us today, we still need to recognize again that thing. Not to make us feel condemned, not to make us feel guilty, because you know what? If you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, He's forgiving you. That's a promise we have. It is done deal. It is taken care of. But I think it's good for us to remind ourselves where we came from. It's good to remind ourselves of the fact that we are sinners and because of that we did need a Savior. And yes, we did accept Jesus and invite Him to be our Savior and commit our lives to Him as Lord. We need to be reminded of that so that we can be truly thankful. Again, the title of the message is, How Thankful Are You? These four truths... How aware are we on an ongoing basis of what God has done for us? And how thankful are we? How thankful are we? So how should this story change our lives? How should this story change our lives? The first thing is if you need forgiveness, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. And so again, first of all, I'd say to anyone that may be here or any of you that are watching online or you're watching or listening to this later on, if you have never come to God recognizing that you're a sinner, 
and that your sin has separated you from God and you need a Savior, I want to encourage you and challenge you to come to Jesus. Because the Bible makes it very clear that if that is the case, you are separated from God. I'm not saying you can't see His see His presence in the world. You may not even you may even see certain aspects of His presence in your life. But as far as eternity is concerned, you have no real relationship with Him, and it'll be that way forever. Because our sin separates us from God. And I already alluded to it, but God's solution was to send Jesus. And Jesus came as God in the flesh, and He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And the Bible says that because that when he died upon the cross, he did not deserve that death, he did not, did not deserve that punishment, that God took that as payment in place of our need, our sin. And so that's what it means to come to him in faith. The faith comes in by saying, well, Lord, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe what your word says. Jesus is God come in the flesh. I believe that when the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross, that that death paid the price for my sin. And if I will take advantage of that, if I will ask for that, if I will ask for forgiveness, I will recognize I'm a sinner, that God will forgive me and give me eternal life. And that's the most important thing that you can do. That's the most important thing you need to do if you have not yet done that. I challenge you. Quit making excuses. Quit justifying. Quit deceiving yourself. Saying, I'm okay. I'm not that bad. Definitely not as bad as that person over there. Definitely not as bad as that person over there. You know, Jesus tells another parable, we'll get to it in Luke eventually, about another Pharisee and a tax collector, another terrible sinner, and they're praying to God. And the tax collector says, God, I reckon, I mean, I am a terrible sinner. Please forgive me. And the Pharisees, standing away, away, because he's not going to get near that terrible sinner, and saying, God, I thank you that I'm not a terrible sinner. And, you know, with what he says, it's almost like he's looking at the tax collector. I'm not like that guy. You know, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not this. I'm not that. I pay my tithes and this, that, and the other. And Jesus said that the end result of their prayer is that the tax collector went home righteous before God. And this Pharisee didn't. So we've got to quit playing the games. We've got to quit comparing ourselves. We've got to quit thinking we're okay because I'm a pretty good person, but realize I need a Savior. I need a Savior. So if you need forgiveness, turn to Jesus. But can I also tell you that those of us that are believers, we need to keep things clean between us and God. Because even after knowing Jesus is our Savior, we find ourselves tempted in, in our goal, our desire, our plan is, God, help me. I want to overcome temptation. I want to do what's right. And, and we rejoice when we have victory over that. But there are times that we give into temptation and we do sin. But the good news is that Jesus is our Savior even then. And we can come to Him and we can say, God, I blew it. Jesus, I blew it. Would you please forgive me? And the Bible says that His forgiveness extends to us. When we're repentant, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even as believers... It's good to examine our lives from day to day to day. You know, last week we took communion and we talked about that because it says, especially when you are going to participate in communion, you should examine your hearts, make sure everything's good between you and God and between you and other believers. Well, that's a good thing to do even when you're not getting ready to take communion. I don't know about you, but I like to keep things clean between me and God all day long, you know, every day. 
You know, before I go to bed at night, I just kind of do a final inventory on my life. Lord, is there anything I did today that just kind of, I just messed it up, Lord, you know? I did something, I said something, had a bad attitude, had a wrong thought, wrong motive. Maybe I did the right thing, but I did it for the wrong reason. Now, I don't live in a, in, in, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, an attitude of condemnation and guilt and like just scared to say or do the wrong thing. All I'm saying is I just like there would be no barrier between me and God. And so I encourage each and every one of you to do that too. If you need forgiveness, turn to Jesus. But other than that, and that's significantly important, in light of thanksgiving, the way I want us to apply what we've learned in this story today is that if, you forgive, if you've experienced forgiveness, show your appreciation to Jesus. We need to be thankful. I think of this woman who was this terrible sinner so overwhelmed with her gratitude, with her appreciation, with her thankfulness, that she was willing to go into this mini crowd, however many people were there, of people who knew her of this, as this terrible person who probably shunned her in public, who probably maybe even did and said things to her or toward her to show their scorn. The shame that she had, she was willing to go past all of that to be in their presence so she could show her love to Jesus. So she could show her thankfulness to Jesus. So she could show her gratitude and her appreciation to Jesus. So how do we do that? We've experienced forgiveness. How do we show our appreciation to Jesus? Put it in the context of the story. How do we anoint the feet of Jesus? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts here. And this first one is kind of a summary of everything we've said so far. By truly understanding your need for and his provision of forgiveness. One of the best ways you can thank Jesus is to show him you understand. To let him know, Lord, I understand. <laughs> I get it. You did something phenomenal for me, and I needed it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. For those of us that are believers, and especially the amount of time we've been a believer, the longer that gets, it gets very, very easy for us to become like Simon. Now, when we read this story, say, I don't want to be Simon. I mean, I don't really want to be the sinful woman either, but I don't want to be Simon. I don't want to be blind to myself. I don't want to be blind to Jesus. But it's very easy to fall into that kind of a trap because the longer we've known Jesus and we've lived for him and 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 and, and the the more successful we are at doing that, you know, living a good life, trying to avoid sin and that kind of stuff, we can get caught up in what we feel, what we see Simon has here, and that's pride. I, I want to propose to you, this is my opinion, as we look at the parable Jesus told about the two moneylenders, the one that owed 500, the other one that owed 50, it's very easy for us to say, well, you know, when Jesus told that parable, the one that owed 500 is a sinful woman, the one that owed 50 was Simon. It's pretty obvious. The one was terribly sinful. You know, it even says that, whereas Simon was a guy who tried to keep the law and all that kind of stuff. But can I tell you that there's a very good possibility it's just the opposite? That Simon is the one that owes 500. And the woman 50. You say, well, why would that be? She had the reputation. And here's the reason I say that. Any sin will keep us away from God. But can I tell you that pride is the more dangerous sin? Why is pride the more dangerous sin? Because when you have pride, you don't ask for forgiveness. And if you don't ask for you don't even recognize you need forgiveness. And if you don't recognize it, and you don't ask for it, you don't get it. 
there's going to be a lot of proud people in hell. And that's the reason they're going to be there. So one of the first things we can do to show our appreciation to Jesus is to truly understand our need for it and his provision of forgiveness. So, you know, let me ask you a question. You know, who are you more like in this story? Are you more like the woman or Simon? Not just your level of sinfulness, but of your response to God's goodness. In the story of the parable that Jesus told, who do you relate to? The one that owed 50 or the one that owed 500? You don't need to get hung up too much on that. The important things that we realize and we recognize, God did something phenomenal for us through Jesus' death on the cross to forgive us of our sins. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. You know, after knowing the Lord for 50-something years, it's easy to just kind of take God's grace for granted. It's kind of easy to just take salvation for, yeah, I'm saved, you know, and I am, and I'm thankful, but it just, I, I, I guess what I'm saying here is that in studying for this and preparing for this, I'm asking you to do the same thing that I'm trying to do, and that is, God, give me a fresh appreciation of what you did for me and how desperately I needed it. I remember one time I was in Bible college, and I don't remember anything about the circumstances of this particular day. But I'd known the Lord. I'd had a relationship with God. Jesus was my Savior for uh, 18 to 20 years. And I'd really tried to do my best to live for Him and all that kind of stuff. But I was in Bible college, and we had chapel service. And I don't even know who spoke or what happened that day in chapel. But I just remember coming out of that chapel so filled with joy because I realized that God had forgiven me. I knew all along God had forgiven me, but for some reason on that day, I don't know if there was a particular thing I'd been wrestling with and I finally got it worked out with God. I don't know if I just got a special revelation, not necessarily a special, but a, a just fresh understanding of the truth that God had forgiven me and Jesus had paid the price. But I remember coming, I just felt like running and jumping and shout. I didn't because that's not the kind of person I am, but... I do that in private sometimes. But anyway, you know, I just, but I was just so filled with joy and, and, and appreciate and thankfulness. And it's like, God, I want that again. Not just because it feels good, but because you did so much for me. I don't want to take it for granted. I want to be thankful. I want to be appreciative. A second thing that we can do just going to give you a couple of them here. If you've experienced forgiveness, show your appreciation, you know, by understanding your need for and his provision of self, uh, forgiveness. But by loving Jesus through worship, meditation, service, and obedience, we could do a whole sermon series on that. But it's obvious that Jesus is associating this, this woman's love and her service to him. That's all tied together. She's been forgiven and she realizes it. And she realizes how significant this is. And so her expression is extravagant. And how does she express it? Through love. He says, this woman loves so much because she knows she's been forgiven of so much. As we look at this example and we look at other passages of Scripture, we can see that loving Jesus... You know, it's what God calls us to do anyway. You know, when people ask, what's the greatest commandment? He asked Jesus that. And the Jewish people had the same, same standard. Jesus said, do what, you know, what the law teaches you. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins. So the same thing applies to Him. Love Jesus with all you've got. And there's various ways we can see that in Scripture, but I think a lot of them are summed up in what I just put here in this point. You know, love Jesus through worship, through meditation. I'm not talking about some Eastern religious thing. I'm talking about spending time with Jesus, reading His Word, meditating on it, responding to it. You know, praying, spending that time with Him through service, doing what He calls you to do and walking in obedience. Those are all ways that Scripture says that we love the Lord and that that love for the Lord is a way of showing thankfulness to God, to Jesus for what He's done. And then the last one is by loving and serving others. It's interesting, that lines up with what Jesus said was the second most important commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And who's your neighbor? It's anybody that's close to you. That's what the definition of neighbor is, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus told a parable, we're not going to read it, in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And the whole basic meaning of the parable and and what Jesus says is that there's going to come a day of judgment and he's going to separate out people according to you know their response to him and everything. But he's, he talks about loving other people. He talks about meeting people's needs. He talks about, you know, feeding the people that are hungry, clothing the naked, going to visit people in prison. You know, people that are in really need. And, and he says, those that do that, I'm going to say, well done. You know, you get deserve to be rewarded. And, 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 and you did this for me. And so they'll ask, well, how do we do that for you? He says, if you did it for anybody. And it's implied with the right attitude, with the right spirit, you've done it for me. And he talks about judgment. He says, you know, There's going to be a judgment coming because you didn't care about other people. You didn't meet their needs when you could have. You didn't feed the hungry. You didn't clothe the naked. You didn't, you know, do what you could to help people in need. And they said, well, he said, because you didn't do it to me. So, well, we didn't even see you. He says, well, if you didn't do it for somebody else, you didn't do it for me. Basically, what Jesus is saying is how you treat other people is basically how you treat me. And so that's another way of showing love for Jesus. Expressing our appreciation for what he's done is by loving and serving other people. So you see, when we talk about being appreciative and thankful for God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, we're not just talking about an emotional response. Emotions can be involved, but you know as well as I do that some people are more emotional than other people. It's just the way we're wired, right? And it's great when our emotions get involved in our relationship with God, when God touches our emotions, when we're emotionally responsive. And like I said, that day that I just, and that wasn't the only day I've ever felt that way, but that day that I was just so overwhelmed with this awareness of I'm a sinner, but God saved me, I'm forgiven. I was so excited, so full of joy. That was an emotional experience. But I'm not talking about we need to somehow come to this place where we have this tremendously emotional experience. I'm talking about we need to have a fresh understanding of what God did for us because we needed Him too. And the fact that He did. And we're so thankful. We're so grateful. We're so appreciative. I just challenge you today. In light of this story, in light of Thanksgiving this week, get yourself in a place where you can just be you and God. Ask Him to give you a fresh understanding fresh revelation of what he did for you and you may need to say God give me a fresh revelation of why I needed it so badly to truly appreciate it and respond with thanksgiving
So I want to ask you today again, how thankful are you? When you think of God's forgiveness of you, God's forgiveness he's given to you if you've come to him for it, is it like, oh yeah, I did that two years ago. Oh yeah, I did that five years. Yeah, I did that 50 years ago. I'm thankful. Or is it like, God, it still amazes me. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve it, but you have forgiven me. Thank you, Lord. How thankful are you? One last thought from this story. This woman received not only forgiveness, but, you know, the byproduct of that is also peace. At the very, very end, Jesus told her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman who had been such a terrible sinner and lived in the midst of such shame and guilt had been forgiven. And now for the rest of her life, she has access to God's peace. And I don't know about you, but we've been talking about forgiveness and salvation, all that kind of, but I'm so thankful for God's peace. I'm so thankful that when I do go to bed at night and I kind of review my day and just make sure everything's cool between me and God, I can lay there and I can drift off into sleep knowing that everything's good between me and God and I've got peace in my heart. That's a great byproduct of being saved. Can I tell you that? Let's all stand together. We're going to end the service a little bit different today. But before we do that, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you are here today and if you're online, I won't be able to see any kind of response. But if you're here today and you'd say, you know what? Pastor, I've heard this before. Maybe you've never heard it before. That's probably not true, but it could be. But I hear what you're saying today. What God's word says, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I've never come to God because I thought I was okay. At least I wasn't near as bad as most of the people I know around me. And now God's spoken to my heart and I've been praying God speak to people's hearts. And I realize I need a savior. And today's the day I want to ask God to forgive me of my sins. On the basis of what Jesus did, not because I'm trying to be a good person. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Because I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. Anybody here today? It's nothing to be ashamed of. We, most of us have already done this. I can tell you, I, I needed a savior and I've got one. But you say to, I need a savior. Today I want to surrender my life to Christ. Nobody in the room that I can see is responding. I don't know. There may be somebody online, somebody watching this, somebody watching it later, listening to it later. So on the chance that there is someone here that didn't respond or someone that's online, can we just pray? And can I tell you that if you want Jesus as your Savior, you need to pray something like this. You can do it in your own words, but just come to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Your word says that I am, but I know that I am. I don't even keep my own standards, much less yours. And God, I understand that my sin separates me from you and will separate me from you for all eternity unless something's done about it. And I realize that I can try real hard, but that's not going to take care of it. But your word says that you took care of it because of that, by sending Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. Please forgive me based on what he did. Lord, I surrender my life to you, and I pray you'd help me to live for you. And and God, I need your help to deal with this sin that puts this barrier between me and you, and I want to leave it behind. So, Lord, please forgive me. 
And Lord, I thank you that Jesus died and rose again to pay the price for my sins and to give me new life. And so I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I tell you that if you prayed that, you meant that, God's forgiven you. And now you have the great privilege of living for him. Amen. What I want to do to end this service is I was I was uh, wrapping up my thoughts for this morning and and I just thought of this song that we learned recently and they sang it at the youth convention. I thought, man, this song so expresses what God did for us and our response of thanksgiving. So I want to invite you to join with the worship team as we sing this song. We've been learning it over the last month or two. It's called I Thank God. And then I'm going to come back and close in prayer. God, we thank you that we can stand here, sit here, whatever, knowing that we are free from sin, its guilt, its shame, its condemnation. We are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Father, I pray we'd have a fresh sense of that, uh, of that which you did for us, Lord God. I pray as we go into this week and even beyond, that we would just be mindful, Lord God, of you have saved us from our sins. Hallelujah. We can have a relationship. We have a relationship with you. God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.